Hello, misfits. Welcome to Horrorwood. I'm Kale. And I'm Kate. I kind of did that backwards, didn't I? It's okay. <laughs> I just realized after. <laughs> I told you I was tired. I'm, I'm like, I have four hours of sleep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to like, yeah, I don't even know. We're going to go with it. We're going to go with it. Yeah, I was really backwards. It's like throwing me off a bit. So how are you feeling today as like a little misfit? Like, are you feeling misfitty? Are you feeling like magnificent? Are you feeling mopey? Me moody? personally? Yeah, you personally. I'm just curious. I'm feeling pretty good actually it's been a crazy busy week as everyone has had a crazy busy week i'm sure mm-hmm. um i was in the studio every single day which is great but also like it's one of those things cuz it's i mean i never really know when i'm going to work and uh so one day i was literally walking out of the studio cuz i thought i was done for the day and an actor contacted me and was like hey can i meet meet you downtown at the studio and i was like uh, okay so um, it's been one of those kind of weeks, but it's good. Work is good. Uh, Frankie had a ton of appointments this week, so we've been running her all over the place. Um, but yeah, things are, I can't complain. Things, everyone's healthy. Uh, we're we're still trucking along over here. Fantastic. How about you? I'm okay. I am, you know, just looking for a new car. We'll put it that mm. way. Are you shopping or how's it going? Yeah, it's going slow because you have to wait for insurance. And mm-hmm. um, I have a car um, coming in January 19th that I ordered. Um, I'm also looking at like um, maybe a Toyota 4Runner as well because I just I have one right now as a rental. Mm-hmm. I really like it. And I remember four years ago, it was between that Toyota 4Runner and an Outback. And then I ended up getting a Subaru Crosstrek. Um, (laughs) So who knows what's going to happen, but it's just a waiting game and it's draining. Mm, Yeah. Both in exhaustion and financially. Yeah. So it's just Toyota, if you want to sponsor us, we're here. Hello. That's right. (laughs) Toyota, Subaru, I'm all for it. Yeah. So it's just been, you know, it's it's a level of exhaustion that's like frustrating. Mm -hmm. It's made me tired and then coming back to school and I I don't know. Kind of in a funky Saturday mood. Maybe it's the rain. Could be. Um, but I welcome it. I do love the rain. I love a rainy day. I think the rest of the weekend is going to be really uplifting and great. Oh, good. And I'm excited for it. Yay. Um, I'm just having a slow start. That's all. It, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It can only go up from here. It's going to all hey, pick listen, up. Hey, listen. That's right. I love it. I love the attitude. Um, and before we get really going on this episode, I do want to put out a little trigger warning um, for this particular episode, which uh, deals with suicide and mm-hmm. depression and drugs and alcohol. Um, it touches on a little bit of all of that. And so I just, I kind of want to be mindful of people. It's January. January is one of the hardest months mm-hmm. um, mentally, um, psychologically. And you're so, coming right out of the holidays, which are right. also really tough and stressful. And then you're just going into like bleak January. January, is, January I think, is the roughest month, honestly. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to kind of put that out there. Um, I, I clearly would not be offended if people didn't want to, you know, hear this episode. But at the same time, like it's it's going to showcase um, an actor who, you know, his life was cut too short. And so I think it's important also to get that out there. Um, he just happened to be one of my heartthrobs back in the day. Mm. I'll get to that in a few <laughs> minutes. But um in a few moments, I mean. So, yeah, I I think it was important for me to to put that out there. Yeah, and if if people aren't up for this one, 
Next week, we're going to have a wild case that's going to be a totally different vibe. So um, you can just wait for that one if you're not ready for this one. But I think this one's going to be really good. I'm here for it, Kate. Listen, for all of them, actually. And I'm here for you. Let's do this. <laughs> wait a minute. I'm here for all of them? You're actually here every time we record. But <laughs> I mean, let's discuss mentally, sometimes. <laughs> it's a toss-up. But Sleepily, physically, sometimes, physically you're, I am here. right there. I see your face. There it is. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little cough. Here we go. Um, yeah, so I think we all know this, but it's never an easy acceptance when someone dies at a young age. Mm-hmm. And it's equally harder to understand when they take their own life. So, you know, who does this affect? What is the uptick in deaths by suicide and what can we do to help prevent it? When does life make one feel that the finality of life is the only way to succumb the trials and tribulations we face as humans each day? Where can we go to seek refuge, respite, and realize that we are loved and love every damn day? And why would one cut short their own life and not see what is seen in the eyes of others? I kind of took us through like a who, what, when, where, why account of Mm -hmm. what it may be be for someone who is um, deciphering through all of this and making, you know, a life-ending decision. And these questions may not ever have full answers. They undoubtedly will have to be asked over and over again by the people who are left behind right back us on earth, right? Um, Will there ever be a time to let someone know how much they're cared about before they make a life-altering decision? I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you if you have any kind of, you know, ideas or notions about this, Kate. And if you want to chime in, please do. I think sure. it's important to talk about it. I think um, it's happening more or maybe we're hearing about it more. Mm-hmm. And I think to kind of go through it and, and help people know they're not alone, one. And then two, that sometimes we just don't have the answers to things. Um Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I'm certainly no expert in this. Um, And, you know, maybe we'll put up a a resource uh, folks can turn to in in our notes um, under the episode, Uh, like uh, the hotlines and and then things that they provide. But um, yeah, I, you know, you mentioned like, how can we let somebody know, you know, how much we care about them before they make a decision like that. And we say it all the time, like, oh, you know, tell the people you love, you love them. You know, you hear that all the time. And I think we, I think just as a collective, the humans, the human race, like we, we hear that. I don't know that we necessarily put that into practice, but it, it's so, it's, it's tough when, and, and it's shocking when you know someone that takes their life and you think, oh, what, what, what could I have done differently? And, yeah, I, I don't I don't have those answers. I just don't. I don't even know if there are answers. Um, yeah. I think I pose those questions just so that we could kind of, you know, get it out there. Um, again, not be afraid to talk about things that um, are hard to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. As uh, David Arquette said in Kid 90, which is Soleil Moon Fry's Hulu documentary, and it highlights yeah, the lives good. of teen stars in the 1990s. You you did watch it, correct? Yeah, I watched it. Okay. Yeah, I watched it um, a little bit. Well, I, I started it the other day and then I finished it this morning. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh, does it not take you back? Sorry, I'm going right. to do a little segue right now because it's important to like talk about this a little bit, especially if you're a kid growing up in the 90s. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing a lot of us out there are. Uh, oh my gosh, just... All of the people, first yeah. of all, what I loved about her, well, I always loved her as Punky Brewster. Yeah, for sure. Punky all the way. Like she was cutting edge. She was, you know, she, was, <laughs> she had freckles like me. I don't, you can't see my freckles anymore because of my rosacea. And also you can't see me. So, <laughs> um, but full, full face of freckles, which by the way, I was called freckle face when I was younger a lot of the times. Oh, and that's it was, cute though. I like that. Well, cute now, but like at the I time, mean, yeah, as a kid. making fun of me. And so my mom would always say, and this isn't like a quote she made up, but she would always say a face without freckles is like a night without stars. Oh, um, 
I love I, that. So, and now you can't, now I wish you could see them, but like I have rosacea and whatever. And, but you can, I have them all <laughs> over my body. So anyway, Soleil had some great freckles on her, on her nose. She did. And I think I just resonated with that. And like on her face, like I resonated with that. And like she had this uh, brunette, like pigtail hair. I had blonde, but it was always in pigtails. Mm-hmm. And she was just funky and fun. I loved Punky Brewster. Oh my loved. gosh. So great. So she has this documentary and she grew up in the 90s. Basically, I mean, she's maybe a couple years older than each of us. Like I'm a couple years older than you. I think she's a little bit older than me. Anyway, um, she really showcased, like she collected everything. Like she- That's what was so interesting about that doc. She had a a tub full of diaries and then she saved like every- People make fun of me for saving things, but I save like every Christmas card. I save, mm-hmm. um, and I have them in like tubs or boxes. And I save um, really significant voicemails, and I put them in voice memos now so that I can keep them forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, she I, carried around a camera with her, and like yes. just, I mean, before even cameras were like, you know, obviously we didn't have cell phones then, right? So right. she's carrying around like a real ass camera, you guys, and just documenting hanging out with her friends which was so cool yeah it, it was and then her friends just so happened to be like tons of celebrities out in Hollywood that's what I thought was so interesting when I watched it I was like wow you don't really think about all of them being connected like it's so wild they were all like buddies and my favorite thing was like she talked about some of her crushes like I think Charlie Sheen was one and Johnny Depp mm-hmm. and, and I was just like it it made her have that ordinary sense of like a regular, you know, teen like myself that wasn't in Hollywood or mm-hmm. I don't know. That documentary was really, really great. I liked it. So I, I wanted to plug that. But um, David Arquette was um, interviewed on it and he said, I don't know. Sometimes people just are kind of done with this world. As sad as that sounds, mm-hmm. it's just too painful. It's like they've done it and and they just don't want to anymore, which oh. is really sad because it gets better and life's worth fighting for. Oh my God. So Kate knows this. I mean, I've I've texted her several times about this, but I've really struggled with this episode for nearly a month. I think I brought it up um what, like in mid-December or something. Yeah. Yeah. I ordered a book and um like a book of essay or an essay book and um you know, you mentioned watching this documentary and I don't know, I teetered back and forth. I delayed it. I constantly pushed it away. Mm-hmm. Like when I would have a chance to work on it, I would, I would, I would like type up a paragraph of notes and then I would like delete it all. I just, I couldn't, I don't know what was going on, but I, I can only think it was because this particular tragedy hit closer to home. It, it was a name I grew up with and a teen right. heartthrob for me. Right. And it also you were trying to work on this like during one of the most like stressful and depressing times of the year. Yes. Yeah. And just after, you know, uh, my own trials and and issues Mm -hmm. that have happened and, you know, when you're facing things and you feel like, oh, my God, where when is it going to like when is the light coming? Right. Right. Um, Why does it feel so dark? Plus, it was dark because like it was the you know, it was winter. It's winter. Yeah. So it's like the darkest time of the year and everything. Um. So yeah, I think that's it. And I know I haven't mentioned um, this actor yet. I'm going to. We're getting to that. But um, it, I think the the thing was, it just felt so real again, or I, I'm not even sure how to explain it exactly. But mm-hmm. the grasping of its unfortunate outcome was just too real. You know, as a young person navigating the world and having these questions unanswered, while also mm-hmm. feeling a sense that I cannot understand others' pains, pain others pain right when I can barely understand my own right in in any given circumstance um but being in touch with it means I am still alive and it means you're empathetic I mean yeah yeah which also like if you're an empath that I mean it's not an easy road (laughs) I and and so I'm a I'm my zodiac signs of cancer and I will tell you I feel not only all my emotions you feel but most of the everything. people around me. I feel everything. And I pick up on it. And um, it was like a blessing and a curse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for it, to be honest, because I, I feel that that makes me actually a better human in yeah. many ways. 
maybe not always, but many ways. And so, yeah. So you're feeling it all. I'm feeling it all. And I think that's what was happening during like the note taking of this episode and like trying to kind of like research some articles and maybe mm-hmm. finding a few clips and kind of going back down that road of that, that really, ooh, what's a good adjective for this? Like when you're growing up and you're kind of, you know, between the ages of 10 and 19, that t- those teenage years, formidable. Or formative. Formative. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Words. <laughs> I mean, it could be formidable. Yes. They could be formidable years for sure. Oh my gosh. Um, again, um, not my peak hours. Here we are again. Um, <laughs> I'm in my prime. Right. I know. I was like, Kate's in her prime. I'm not. Um, I'm leading this episode. Whoa. Anyway, I think I think the one thing that I wanted to put out there, and I, I hope other people kind of maybe maybe resonate in this, is that, you know, if you're feeling your own pain or others' pain, it's, it's not always a bad thing because mm-hmm. it does reiterate that you're alive and who knows, maybe your pain um, can touch someone else's pain or vice versa or whatever. It just shows that you're human and you right. care. Absolutely. Um, and so here we are. Suicide, in my opinion, is never easy to discuss. I assume it's because most of us, if not all of us in the world have known someone it has affected, mm-hmm. whether a personal friend or a celebrity, a family member. The news that comes with this type of tragedy is never easy to process. And the digestion of it is barely swallowable. Swallow, swallowable. That is also a really hard word to say. Mm-hmm. But you did a great job um, with it. Thank you. I mean, you know, just a month ago, um, you know, we talked about a Twitch, um, Stephen Boss, and it was hard for me. So I didn't even know him personally. I don't right. know his wife personally, but he had so much light in all of his dancing videos. And I think we all just felt this like ping of, of pain, pain of pain, um, that made it hard for us to swallow that and digest that news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was tough. I mean, I didn't know him either. And I was, I could not, we talked about it, you know, when it happened, but I could not believe it. I was like, he just posted like yesterday. Yeah. You just don't know. You don't. That's exactly it. Jonathan Gregory Brandis was born April 13th, 1976 in Danbury, Connecticut the only son of Mary and Gregory Brandis, his mom, a teacher, so Mm. shout out to her, um, and also his personal manager and his dad, a food distributor and firefighter, had Jonathan and, um, again, he he was their only son. Did he have sisters or he was only child? He was only child. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That's what I meant to say. I was just checking. And then I actually meant to say he was their only child after that. And somehow I said son again. So that did make you (laughs) question. Okay. Um, Jonathan started his career as a toddler. Oh, wow. So at age two, he began modeling for Buster Brown shoes. Do you remember them? What are Buster? I don't. I think they're like... um, like a quality kids, like leather brand of shoes. I mean, they sound fancy. Yeah, I remember the name and I think they were really big in the 1980s. Okay. But yeah, he 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 modeled for them basically. And that's kind of where he got like that start. I mean, he was okay. two years old, right? He began oh my modeling. Goodness. Like, and then shortly thereafter, at age four, Jonathan began acting in television commercials. Oh, wow. So, so you can kind of probably see where this is building and like, you know, where the trajectory Mm -hmm. might be going, right? Um, So then two years later, he landed the role of Kevin Buchanan on a soap opera that likely most have heard of, One Life to Live. Okay, yeah. Now, question for you. Okay. Again, we're going to go, we're deviating a little bit. So did you, were you a soap opera watcher? I was not. Like in college, you weren't? Okay. No, but you know what? My roommate, Erin, was, she was all about Days of Our Lives. And she'd be like, I got to go watch Days. And I'm like, Days, what? yes. <laughs> a, a lot of Millican people were Days fans. I was not. I was a General Hospital fan. Okay. My sister was so, a General Hospital fan. Yeah. So I could tell you a lot about that. I don't, I mean, I haven't watched General Hospital and I, well, let's not date myself. Is it yet. still on? I think so. I think they're likely all on still. Okay. I don't know, actually. <laughs> I hope Susan Lucci finally got her Emmy, though. That's I do I love Susan Lucci. Just 
even though I'm, I think I've seen episodes with her because, yeah, I know that she was nominated like a ton. Yeah, I don't even know if she ever got one. Uh, I'm not sure. Pause. We should look that up. Yeah. I'm like, now I'm curious. Oh, gosh. She has a really long resume. Good for her. Good for you, Susan. You go, Susan Lucci. Oh, my gosh. She won. Oh, okay. She's been nominated like 20-some times in the 20s times. Wow. Um, she won in 1999, it looks like. 1999? Yeah. Wow. Really? No idea. But she her first nomination came in like 1978. Oh, okay. Oh, and then yeah, she's been nominated in the 20s. Wow. Times. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Now we know. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you for looking that up. Um that's where Jonathan Brandis pretty much got like his like television start besides the commercials was really the soap opera. Okay. So that was at age uh six. Okay. So then, young. Okay. I, I know. Can you imagine like a six-year-old little Jonathan Brandis? Okay. First <laughs> of all, let me set um, what his appearance looked like. He kind of had, in and, and his teens, he had okay. baby blue eyes, just precious, really nice eyes, a great smile. And then mm-hmm. kind of that 90s flip. Oh, yeah. The do. 90s hair. Yes. Which, you know, of course, like Leonardo DiCaprio had and, and uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. That was the oh, style. It was the style. It was the style. Yep. So three years after, you know, getting this role on One Life to Live, he's nine now. Okay. Jonathan Brandis and his parents moved to Los Angeles. And then that's where he made guest appearances on many popular at the time shows, such as I'm not listing them all. This is just a handful. And honestly, I went through the list and picked out my favorite ones. So that's what we're here today. (laughs) Um, So Blossom. Yes. Who's the boss? Yes. Full House. Oh the goodness. Wonder Years, and then many others that I was like, I could list all of them, but like, oh my goodness, those were like the hot shows. I know, I know. I was, oh, as soon as I read Blossom, it got me so excited. But it was his role on Sequest, which, mm-hmm. well, no, in fact, I think I've seen like one episode of that when it was first on because he was in it. But then mm-hmm. I didn't really like the actual, like, the show didn't really keep me intrigued. Maybe it yeah. would now, but sure. I watched it only because he was on there. Um, right. And that's what helped soar him into Teen Idol, crushing from fans like myself. Because let me be honest, I had a poster of him up on my wall. Yes, you did. <laughs> in the early 90s, he was in The Never Ending Story 2 and Ladybugs with Rodney Dangerfield. Do you remember? Ladybugs. Yeah. Oh, wait. Was it a sports movie? Yeah. Like they were a team? Soccer. Mm-hmm. Soccer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And he had to dress up as um, a female um, character because that's how he got on this team. Oh, okay. Because that's Rodney Dangerfield was like the coach. It's kind of like, uh, what was that one with Amanda Bynes uh, later? later. Obviously. Yeah. Um, um, oh my gosh, it's going to drive me insane. <sighs> it's not what a girl wants. It's, it's, it is something about a girl or something though. It's um, Is it what a girl wants? No. No, I don't think so. She's the man. She's the man. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, Ladybugs, I did watch that. I watched it several times. And you know how things used to play replay on like TBS and USA and all of that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't have cable as a kid, but sure. Well, more so like college times or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I would watch it again. If it was on, it just played in the background. So those Never Ending Story 2 as well. Oh, I love both. I love both. <laughs> those are two personal favorites of mine. So again, that's why they're in the lineup here. He has other credits. I just picked out my favorite ones. Sure. Um, he was also in Stephen King's It series and then Chuck Norris's Sidekicks. Oh. He had a few appearances in films in early, the early 2000s, um, most released posthumously. You know, 2001, 2002, 2003, he had, he had been in some films, but then they, they came out later. Mm-hmm. The fall of stardom began with Brandis as his teen idol heartthrob status succumbed to the rise of others and him aging past the roles of the once coveted teenager-like 90s followers such as me, right? So, like, as we're growing older, we're getting, you know, we're kind of getting out of that teen stage. Sure. You know, things weren't coming up for him as much as they were other people in the industry. And that happens to a lot of yeah. teen actors or to, you know, child actors. I do think that's such a hard transition. I actually, I encounter that a lot with the actors I work with. I had an actor just the other day. She's 19. And she she could play younger, but that's not what she's getting called in for anymore because they know that she's older. 
And so her auditions have like dropped dramatically. Yeah, it's a hard time. And I just kept trying to tell her like, it will come back around. Like this is this is your transition transition phase. It's going to come back around. It's a, it's a struggle for a lot of actors that age. And for Jonathan Brandis, the timeline of his career was simultaneous to the gaining popularity of such actors like Christian Bale, Leonardo mm. DiCaprio, Johnny Depp, so many, oh, wow. so many others. I mean, yeah, it really was that. I don't see it as much anymore. Like, I don't even see is Team B even still around? I, I don't, don't think so, but I, I do even, remember it back in the day. In the nineties, for some reason, there was this. Just I, I don't know. If we must have been boy crazy, to be honest. <laughs> Because there I mean, was such we a were. Flood, <laughs> there was such a flood of like my followings of all these teen child actors, even the girls. Like I think I had a couple, I think I had a Punky Brewster um poster or like Stelaine mm-hmm. at you know, she has already um finished up that role. But like I had um trying to think of other ones that I might have had that were female oriented. I had, I mean, would this be like around the time of like Britney Spears coming up? Not quite. Okay. Eh, It's a little bit later. I mean, so the more end of this timeline is when the Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, like Justin Timberlake Mm. started coming to age, I guess is what you would call it there. I remember having a picture of the Taylor sisters who were models, Nikki and Chrissy. And Chrissy also passed. Um, at a at a really young age, mm-hmm. so just that's kind of what the rooms were back then. Like we just put up posters and yeah, I do remember posters. I, I mean, I think it's still a thing. Like my youngest niece has a lot of posters in her room, but my oldest sister, when she was living at home, still her entire room, every inch of wall and ceiling was covered in posters, magazine pages, like that was her wallpaper. And I remember making sure like you couldn't see the wall part, you know, making sure it was all lined Mm -hmm. up like Tetris style. And my niece does do that. She does that with K-pop. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that's the thing now. I I don't know. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it certainly was really big back in the nineties and I can, Mm -hmm. I can account for that. So, um, yeah, as roles declined, though, Brandis did what so many in Hollywood do when they feel perhaps their purpose in acting has been unfulfilled too soon and took to self-destruction. In the critical essay by Brandon Burdett, which is called The Tragedy of Jonathan Brandis, Burdett Mm -hmm. really delves deep into helping his readers see that as a child actor, Brandis didn't have too many tools to mentally cope with life after stardom had dwindled. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty short read. Um, he compares a lot of like Brandis with Mozart and Nick Drake and, you know, other people who had taken their lives. And mm. so it, it was an interesting read. There were some things I'm like, huh, okay. Um, but, th- but there was a few things that really like caught my eye and made me think. Um, one of which is a, a, a few quotes um, to take away from that essay. He said, uh, this is Burdett. He said, uh, he is someone, Brandis is someone who undoubtedly sat around drinking, looking back at his successful career rather than looking inward or forward as if he were already dead. To Brandis, mm. success was life and being unseen was death. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. That's why it was like, ooh. I mean, there was some some really captivating um revelations in in this essay. And so I think I I was like really thinking hard about like what he was explaining, how he was saying certain things again. I don't, I think, and he was just like a fan, you know, he didn't know him personally. He he was a fan who wrote about him. He was like, I looked up to him as a young boy, you know, growing Mm. up. Can I ask, and you might get to this later, where were his parents in all of this? I, th- I think they were still they were still working in Los Angeles. I didn't read a lot about his parents. I will bring okay. up um, some things that his father mentions later. Okay, but yeah, I didn't see a lot about his parents. And maybe there's a lot out there that I just that I don't I didn't get to everything. Yeah. And this essay continues going on uh, to say that he drowned because he had difficulty not not drowned in water, but just in in life circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, he drowned because I wanted to make sure I clarified that. Yeah. Um, he drowned because he had difficulty in removing his costume, which I thought was such an interesting, um, yeah, correlation. Right. His safe zone was acting, and and when not acting, he faced the real world in a way that didn't support him in the way he needed. Mm. I mean, that's got to be hard, too, because 
he started out at an age when he couldn't even vocalize right. if he wanted to do this. Right. Exactly. exactly. He was and so think, young that it's all he knew. It's what he knew. I was just going to say that. It's what he knew. And so I think it for him, I, he just kept going on. He kept going with it because it was working for him. Yeah. Burdett suggests that one reason he likely um, made the final decision to end his life is because the lack of attention and consideration to being understood. And later, um, his long-term girlfriend, Tatiana Ali, and they weren't together when um, he died. I'll bring that up a little bit later in the episode. But um, she had suggested that. She she kind of put that out there. Like, he just never really felt like he was understood or that was really okay. of importance to him to feel understood. Okay. So then maybe it, it's alluded that, like, maybe he didn't feel understood. Um, but unfortunately for Brandis, his early acting days were his great run, and he was finished with his mission. So this is also what oh. Burdett said. Burdett said he finished with his mission, his life, in the same way Hollywood had washed its hands clean of him. He did the same. Oh, my God. And I read, I don't know if this, I think this was maybe a clip, a YouTube clip. Maybe it was in an article. I can't quite remember. It might have even been in this essay. But it had said something about how Brandis kind of um, went out of the world. He wanted people to see it. Like, so instead of doing it in a, in a private area, he did it in an area that, you know, it, uh, in a hallway, which I'll discuss later. But okay. I, it, so, so somebody could, so that he could be seen. Which is very interesting mm. um, to me that it that it wasn't necessarily in a private setting or area. Um, oh well, yeah, I didn't know about that. Yeah, on November eleventh, two thousand three, Jonathan Brandis was found hanged in the hallway of his Los Angeles apartment. Oh, he died the following day at Cedar Sinai Medical Center. Um, question for you: mm -hmm. I swear, is this the only freaking medical center in Hollywood? <laughs> Because it comes up a lot. Oh, well, it's, I swear. It's a massive complex. It is like the main one. It's huge. Okay. Yeah. It's very centralized. So I think that's why it comes up a lot. I see. So, yeah. So he, he died the the day after um, he was found so, hanged. So, wait. He mm -hmm. didn't die right away? No. A friend found him. And they got him to Cedar Sinai. And Sinai. Sinai. Oh, it's Sinai. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, and he was so, still alive? Yeah. So oh um, it was a day later on November 12th, and he died from the injury sustaining from the hanging. Oh, my God. He was 27. Oh, I didn't realize that he was still alive when he got mm -hmm. to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the condition. I'm sure. I'm, not sure. I, I actually tried to find, I found these little like small internet like clips. I don't know what they're even called, but they like kind of, it's almost like the pattern of the weather for um, the the airplane that we talked about in the Art Shoal one. Like, oh, uh-huh. It, it's like those little, it's like born this day, this day, this, and it lists yeah. things. I couldn't find anything that talked about like, was he in critical condition? Was, you know, I, I assume. I mean, hopefully, I we can only hope he was unconscious. Right. Oh. Uh, Brandis did not leave a suicide note. Okay. Friends later stated that Brandis was depressed about his waning career. That was in many articles. Basically the okay. exact same sentence that I just read in several articles. It literally says the mm. same thing. And while they were shocked, Burdett's essay brings to attention and indicates that they didn't know him at all. To him, killing his body reflected the deadness of his career and the finality of his task. And so he was kind of alluding to like, they were shocked, but yet if they knew him, maybe they wouldn't have been shocked. Of course, it'd be saddened, but right? But yeah, so that was um, interesting. And I want to make sure I put that in there. Um, again, it's, I, I would state that he did his research, Burdett did, and part of this is opinion-based, right? Sure. But I think it's with um, reading a lot of interviews by friends on Kid 90, which is the documentary I referred to earlier on Hulu um, that Soleil Moon Fry showcases. She revealed that she kept many voicemails from her real true friend, Jonathan. He had even left some voicemails that were like 10 minutes long sharing his innermost thoughts. And that was also in a bunch of articles, but I obviously heard them too because I watched this documentary and... Mm -hmm. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, it's his voice. I mean, I saw a few yeah. YouTube clips um, of interviews of him when he was like in his prime and oh, he's just the cutest. Re-listening to them, Soleil cried um, because it made it all too real. Mm. And she opened up like kind of this Pandora's box that she had talked about in her documentary to film it. Right. And it just resurfaced everything. And it, and it all meant she had to relive those moments oh, that now have become tough. cherished memories with her friend who's no longer living. Oh. There's still a lot of celebrities that um, were in this documentary that are alive and kind of mm-hmm. able to recount things. I feel that he is among the stars. So maybe he's not a celebrity star anymore, but maybe he's a mm. celestial star. Maybe, you know, maybe wherever our spirits sprinkle, Jonathan yeah. is there. And his prime, right? And his heartthrob, mm. teen idol prime. In a Mamma Mia article, which I, I'd never heard of this um, this website. I mean, either. I mean, I know the musical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the Abba song. <laughs> right. Um, I found an article by Laura Jackal, and it discusses how Soleil Moon Fry opened up in a People magazine article. Okay. Um, that they had interviewed her and she kind of discusses her friendship with Brandis. And one of the quotes was, as part of the same young actress Hollywood circle in the 90s, Fry said she felt some guilt, the guilt at not mm. realizing how Brandis was struggling. And this is uh, Soleil's quote. Okay. So she goes on to say, how often do we really look at each other and go, how are you? And actually hear what someone is saying. I learned that I just wasn't listening in the way I do now. Oh, I do think people, anyone who's been in a similar situation, you know, that's they do feel that guilt. Mm -hmm. And it's just a constant question of like, how did I not see it? What could I have done different? Agreed. And again, like it's asking all those questions earlier. I we just don't always have the answers. Mm -hmm. Often we don't. Also, it could be someone, I mean, who just appears like so positive and full of light and doesn't seem to let anything bother them and every time you talk to them they're like they're the the upbeat one you yeah. know and you just don't know and they don't t- you know maybe they don't share the darker things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know i i don't know again i'm not an expert and i think it's different for everybody but yeah i do think it's so hard for the people that are still around who then live with that loss and all those questions. Right. And even if we did have some of the answers, we're not that person. Right. They're all, all we can do is just be kind, be loving. Um, you know, we're going to have our moments, everybody, that's human nature. That's mm-hmm. the human condition. Um, but I think if we lead in with kindness and, and love and just try to be accepting and hopeful, you know, the world is a, a cheerier place, even on rainy days. Hmm. Uh, Stacy Osbeck does take us on a little like posthumous run. It's really hard for me to say that word, by the way. Posthumous. Thank you. It's said in different ways. I will say that. For sure. And I've actually looked it up to get the pronunciation and it's been stated in two different ways. So like, there's that too, but whatever. We all know what you're saying. Thank you. Um, and by the way, I did look up how to say Brandis correctly. And they, the one I found said Brandis. So I don't know. I could be saying that wrong too. No, I think it's Brandis. Um, but there was a, a run in, in the article that was written in Movie John by Stacey Osbeck while revealing that nearly 15 years after his death. So this was in, uh, well, I'll tell you in just a minute. Um, Brandis has a fan base on Instagram's Explore page. So this was in 2019. Oh, okay. Recent. And she's, um, I, well, I, Stacy states, Jonathan Brandis now has a rising fan base and is currently tagged in 41,000 posts on Instagram. This is his moment if he were only here to enjoy it. Yeah, there there ended up being in like 2018, there was this crazy like fan base of kind of teenage girls, a, a lot of them. Interesting. And they kept like reposting these pictures of him. Well, when did the when did Kid 90 come out? Was that 2019? Oh, that's a great. I thought that was 2021 actually, but I'll look it up. It right could have now. been. Everything feels like yesterday. So yeah, like 2021. You could say, oh, okay. I know. Yeah. To me, that's the same as 2014. So I don't know. <laughs> I, you know what? Time. <laughs> now, I think that you brought this up um, like a month ago or something, but I can't remember. Brandis met Tatiana Ali. Did you, were you talking about I don't know this? if I brought this up. Oh, okay. 
Somebody did that I was talking to. I don't know. Um, now, Tatiana Lee, Ali was uh, on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So he met her at a mutual friend's Halloween bash in 1993. Mm. And then later they dated for several years. And this is what Ali expressed after being shocked and saddened about his death, hinting that maybe it was his dwindling career that may have been cause for his suicide. Okay. Um, this was this was in an um, article, uh, Legit NG, which is actually like a Nigerian um, website. Okay. Um, but it's her quote, and I thought it was relevant. So it's, uh, when you've been on covers of magazines for years, when that stops happening, what's your identity? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's all he knew. Yeah, exactly. He grew up in that. He probably went to school on set. Like he probably didn't have a regular school life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He, he was working almost from the time he shot out of the womb. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's all, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was also noted in Legit NG, which is that uh, news website in Africa, that he was drinking heavily due to his depression and mentioned mm. he might kill himself. So there was a couple friends that I think have come out and said that there was mention of that. I, I felt oh. like maybe even on Kid 90 that was referenced, but I, I'd have to watch it again to like truly mm-hmm. know if that was said on there. So there was a movie that also might have kind of triggered just this like more depressive um, tone in his life at the time in the early 2000s. It was called Hearts War. Um, Mm. It was seemingly like a film that might revive his career. However, even that fell short as his role was significantly reduced, which is possibly what maybe led him further down that spiral of self-destruction and demise. Mm. Yeah. In a 2021 published article in Sugary Fix, oh my gosh, I said sugary, but it's called surgery fix. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think I think we needed a little humor maybe. And maybe we do need a sugar fix. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe here. maybe that's it. Maybe. Oh gosh. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to go back to that sentence. Okay. In a 2021 published article in Surgery Fix web website regarding psychiatry. So it was a website and then the article was, what is that topic? Was psychiatry. Oh, okay. And and the name of the article was just the suicide of Jonathan Brandis. Mm. His father discussed that Jonathan was possibly bipolar and in his 20s showed signs of manic depression. Mm. Now this article further states that Jonathan, this is a quote, Jonathan Brandis is one person who touched fans throughout his life and genuine interest in him has never gone away. And I, I mean, honestly, I have to agree because every once in a while I'll bring him up or I'll say something. Mm-hmm. I remember even on a um, a Facebook message, one time a friend of, a, of mine, we were talking and like somehow we brought him up like, oh, that was one of our crushes, mm. you know? So I agree. It really never has gone away or, to, or it'll like ebb and flow. Yeah. In 2019. Why on earth? You know, on Instagram, right. 41,000. That's so interesting. Yeah. I do have a question. So his dad was saying that he thought maybe he was bipolar. Mm-hmm. Did he get any get, help for that? Yeah. I, I, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, I found nothing that indicates that he even was aware of it. Maybe. Okay. I mean, I think... I think maybe he was aware that he was facing darkness. Mm-hmm. He's obviously, he said that he, you know, with a f- couple friends or a friend that um, he was thinking about killing himself. He was drinking and possibly doing drugs. And mm-hmm. maybe he was aware that he had some depressive like acts or feelings. I didn't see that, you know, there was any kind of intervention. Okay. And I mean, maybe they didn't know, maybe they just didn't know where to turn to. Right. And honestly, like it was the very early 2000s, very Mm -hmm. early. That kind of stuff, to be honest, was still pretty like. Yeah. um, Taboo. uh, Taboo. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't talked about. Like mental health was not talked about. It really wasn't. Yeah. So yeah, I I think it was just a series of unfortunate spirals that, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, can't be undone now. So the final words of this episode belong to Jonathan's father, Greg, which was found in the same article quoted from People magazine. So this was in the Surgery Fix uh, website. Okay. He said, I talked to him and it makes me smile. I get the feeling he's looking down at me. Oh, so are both his parents still alive? I It looked like they were. Yeah. Okay. I mean, 
you just like feel for them because oh, it's it was their only child. Ugh, that's awful. Yeah, it's um, it's just it's it's heart wrenching. And I have a question. He hung himself in the hallway of his apartment. Was it inside his apartment unit, or was it like a random hallway in the building? My my thought is that it was not in his actual apartment unit. That it was in a oh. hallway within the building. Oh. And possibly like maybe next to his apartment unit. It was in a place where it seemed like, and, it, and that essay I had talked about, the book that I talked about earlier by Burdett, had mentioned that it was in a, a way for people to see him, that, you know, he wasn't, mm. that to make that known. Okay. Um, I Oof. didn't read anything specifically that states exactly where it was. Okay. But my idea was that it was in the building, maybe it was next to his unit, but Ooh. in a hallway that um that was public. That is or public to those residents, right? Sure. That is so eerie to think about. It's devastating. Actually for a while, Carrie who uh, was in Mamma Mia, which is interesting in New York, oh, yeah. right? She's my old roommate at Milliken. She was doing, um, now she's a therapist. So she went mm-hmm. to school after she had an acting run on Broadway. And she was doing some like sessions for actors therapeutically. Oh, nice. Yeah, they were sessions. I'm not exactly sure if it was like a limited time or whatnot. She's since mm-hmm. moved from, away from New York. But um, oh, okay. I think that's really important. I think it's important to have something set up for um, actors. And there probably is. There pro- Now there probably is. But, but I remember thinking, that is such a good idea. I mean, for anybody, teachers. Uh, for, yeah, for anybody. Workers, I mean, anybody, anybody. I mean, I've long thought that mental health should be a subject in school that is taught in schools. Oh, absolutely. And that everyone should get like their own private mental health hour mm-hmm. at once a week or something um, for absolutely. students. I mean, I work in that. I'm literally a therapist. Yeah. So like we do have that reserve, but that's only for the kids in our program. Exactly. Like you know? public schools don't have that. And a lot of kids don't know where they can turn. I mean, sure, schools have the school counselor, but that's right, different. Right. And we have a couple of programs in our school specifically, but but I mean, I can't say that that's at every school. Yeah. And I mean, it's not for sure. Mm-hmm. And as an actor, you are giving yourself. It's your image. It's your voice. It's It's all you. So mm-hmm. if someone, if a critic, you know, says something about your performance or about your look or anything that is a personal attack on yeah. you. And so much of that is going to wreck your mental affect, health. Affect you. Uh-huh. I get people 100%. in the studio all the time who are just so down on themselves. And I mean, because it's a business of rejection, mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. it is. And it's so hard, like trying to talk to people and be like, Yes, this is what the business is, and it's hard, and you have to have other things going on mm-hmm. outside of it. It can't be your only thing. And I and I mean, it's just this is a whole other conversation for another day. But but yeah, I I just don't think, and especially in the early two thousands and even before, is you know those resources just weren't available, and right. if they were, people didn't know how to access them. Mm-hmm. I agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Something you said about how, like, he still has a fan base, but he's mm-hmm. not here to see it. So it made me think one of my Christmas gifts to Matt was uh, Immersive Van Gogh. And we went the other day. First off, stunning. It was so gorgeous and just, like, peaceful. I sat on the mm-hmm. floor in this, like, huge building with this big art installation and there's music and and the way that the pictures integrates and move and shift and change was just, you just sit there in awe. And I just remember thinking, you know, cause Van Gogh also died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if he could have only seen, there is a reason he is known as the most famous painter in the world. Yeah. And you see how his art is incorporated into so many different things. And just oh, this, yeah. then the number of people that have been to see this installation, because it's traveling all over the country. And you just think you never know what's going to come of the art you produce and what you put out there. And you don't, you just don't know because you can't see it. We can't see in the future, you know? Right. And 
uh, it just like hits you in the gut when you hear something. Someone so young. I mean, mm-hmm. he was 27. Jonathan was 27. Yes. When I think of me at 27, I was a baby. Oh, yeah. I just feel like I was a child then. And I still kind of feel like <laughs> And just to think so much could have come around. I mean, again, we are not experts and we can't put ourselves in their shoes. But That's right. Damn. I agree with everything you said. And um, yeah, I think uh, we'll, we'll try to get like a couple of resources that we also post. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that's hard too because we can put anything out there, right? Sure. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be used or um, exactly, you know, helpful. But we're here for you. We just want to do what we can in our own small way. And yeah, I, uh, man, that's a tough one. Listen, though, it, seriously, if, if anybody needs to, to chat or needs an uplifting laughter, I, f- I got you covered on that. I will butcher every word for you <laughs> um, and sound like an idiot. And you can laugh at, you know, my interesting ways. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you need that, please let us know. Don't hesitate. You can follow, subscribe, all the things. We're on almost every single social media and you can find us at Horrorwood Podcast. Uh, we also have our Patreon up and running. We would love for um, you to, you know, find your merry way over there if you can. And that is at Patreon. patreon.com. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got it. And I realized that's not my part. <laughs> but you okay, say it's for it anyway. Okay. Patreon.com at Horrorwood Podcast. No, I... Nope. <laughs> now I, I'm all, bleh. see, there bleh. you are. Get your laugh for the day. I've already butchered shit. <laughs> Howdy, partners. Yeah, you did take a trip to the South there for a second. It's patreon.com slash Horrorwood Podcast. And we can laugh together. So <laughs> it's good to end this on a on an uplifting tone. Definitely. I got I to gotta make myself smile. And if I can make myself smile, maybe I can make others smile. So you find go. your smile for today. It doesn't have to be through me, but find your smile <laughs> for today. And um, if you're in California, if you're in the, the rainy area, I can even meet you up for a coffee because clearly I need another one. Oh, um, my. She is really <laughs> offering up a lot here, folks. Uh, anyway, um, take it over, Kate. <laughs> I have nothing to say. <laughs> We love you, misfits, because we we ourselves are misfits. Clearly. Clearly. (laughs) Bye.